What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast podcast where we talk to smart people but not necessarily done by smart people that is an awesome question this one goes down probably on one of my top five hey i like nutrition i like to eat food this is the coolest thing ever we're gonna do this forever i wish i paid more attention in that class you know i'm gonna be honest i don't understand that as a man i just i don't get it welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Thanks for joining us today. Are you a tech fan? Are you a fan of business, innovation, entrepreneurship, passion even? Well, this guy covers it all. We are talking to Kevin Kelly. He is the co-founder of Wired Magazine. You might have heard of it. It's just one of the coolest magazines ever. So we talked to Kevin about all kinds of things. He's got some really interesting feedback on how to find your passion. He was a hippie wandering around the country, taking pictures of things. And next thing you know, he finds the internet and, well, the rest is history. We also talked to Kevin about his newest book, Cool Tools, A Catalog of Possibilities, which is currently a number one bestseller on Amazon. Cool Tools is a highly curated selection of the best tools available for people. These are like hand tools, maps, how-to books, vehicles, softwares, gizmos, websites. I mean, the guy knows what's out there in the world, so he's curating it for you. So we're going to talk to Kevin Kelly, but you know what would be great, guys? Head to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check us out. You can look at past episodes, but sign up for the newsletter because announcement, I'm getting close to launching my new podcast and I need your help. I'm looking for a name. I have a couple maybe some other feedback, and I'm going to be reaching out through the newsletter to ask for that feedback. 
I think you guys will love the topic of the new show. So sign up for the newsletter and you'll hear more about that. Smartpeoplepodcast.com. And lastly, we love it when you talk to our guests. So if you want to tweet Kevin, he responds. He's got tons of followers and he's got some great stuff on Twitter. His handle is at Kevin2Kelly. It's Kevin, the number two, Kelly, two L's. Here it is, the co-founder of Wired Magazine, Kevin Kelly. Kevin, thanks so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you. You are the co-founder of Wired Magazine, which is a magazine I have devoured for years. So really, thank you for being on the show. Well, it's my pleasure and privilege to be here. I really wanted to talk to you about a subject I'm not sure if many people ask you about, but it's this idea of passion. And it's because you've made a career out of things that you're obviously passionate about. I mean, technology, writing, you're a creative. I looked at your workspace and it's obviously just, you, you just like creating things. So what is your advice to people that want to do something that maybe seems a little off the beaten path? You know, it's um, tough to offer advice about that because in a certain sense, my career as you might find in other people who have sort of wound up doing what they really love doing is is um, not a straight line. It's, it's kind of this bouncy, wiggly thing that would seem to be going nowhere for a long time. And I think that's that's actually a common pattern. It's not like there's a ladder that one climbs up or, or that you see where you're going when you start off. So basically, in the beginning, I just assumed that I would be poor and unknown for most of my life. That was sort of, that was sort of the deal, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> because I, uh, you know, I, I as a kid, I I made stuff. I, I I started off. I've always made stuff from the very beginning. I I made trains when I was really little. I had you know maybe model worlds in train sets, and um, I just was pretty focused as a kid making train sets, and I wanted to do more, and I was kind of obsessive about it. And then I moved on to other obsessions and interests, like I made a nature museum in my basement, and I had I made exhibits showing how different things worked and using motors and uh you know it was sort of um it was kind of like art and science together and that was my main interest and i went on to make a chemistry lab and i was doing chemical real chemical experiments and i made a lot of the equipment i remember asking for my birthday what do i want i wanted glassware i wanted chemical glassware that's what i wanted <laughs> for my birthday and nothing made me happier than an Erlmeyer flask you know and so um i just kept doing that i i made sculptures i just i painted and then i and i was combining these uh interests all through high school it kind of culminated in photography which was both art and science at the same time this was the very beginning uh in late 60s of when photography was because becoming kind of first accessible to ordinary people in some ways um after high school, when I came to college, I didn't really want to go to college. I was trying to think about going to art school and then maybe going to MIT. I couldn't decide. And then eventually, basically, what happened was I dropped out. I, after a year, I just uh, – I had I couldn't stand being in a classroom. I had to do something. So I took my camera and I went to Asia. 
and I started traveling and um, I did that for eight years basically traveled around Asia photographing the disappearing traditions it was kind of like a time machine where this magical moment in history where someone like me who had no money but a lot of time could travel to the to previous centuries to the to, to the medieval times in Afghanistan or, or Nepal where they truly were literally living exactly as it had been for 400 years earlier and um, I could be there and it was just uh, it was just amazing so I think the answer is is um, I just did it and I remember even at my young age of you know I was 20 21 whatever it was when I first left I was think I, I, I remember saying I'll just pretend that I'm a millionaire. I'll just pretend that I have the money that I need and kind of act as if money is not the constraint, but other things are. And I think that's maybe part of my advice to to answer your question is that um, in the long run, usually money is usually not the gating factor of what you need to do to accomplish, you know, these, these things that you have a passion about. Usually, enthusiasm and time are more important than money is, and so um, and I think that continues to be true even now. When I'm trying to decide about things to do, I don't think about the money so much as I think about like you know time. Um, that that's the precious resource. That that's the, that's the thing that I have and I can use, and that's what everybody has. And and I have the enthusiasm, and those are sort of um, you can usually kind of work around not having money. In fact, not having money is actually often an advantage uh, in accomplishing things because it means that you can't buy solutions to the the little problems that come along. You actually have to kind of invent things, and that's where innovation comes from. That's why a lot of innovation comes from startups. It's not because they're necessarily any smarter than anybody else. It's because they're more desperate. They don't have any money to, 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 to buy solutions, and so they have to invent them. And I think, um, I think if, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're doing things, you need either a lot of time or a lot of money, and it's always better to have more time than money. And, and, and I think that um, uh, I kind of, for some reason, just got this idea that I, uh, that, that I would not let the, having a lack of money become a hurdle, and I would use it as an opportunity to, to do things. One of the things that I want to point out is you mentioned your background has been bouncing around and it's nonlinear. And at times you felt like you were going to be poor and unknown for a long time and you came to peace with that. And I think it just gives a lot of people the the sense that it's okay to not know as long as you're working towards something you believe in and something that you enjoy first and foremost. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely... Um was not trying to become rich. You know, I think if, if for some people that, that is, that is, you know, to become independently wealthy or something, that, that is a goal. And so then that, that becomes a little harder because that is their goal. But for me, that was never a goal. In fact, that was the opposite. I just assumed that was not going to be, um, or, or famous, you know, rich or famous. And so, um, I, I, so, so I think aiming for that is really kind of dangerous. There are people who, you know, who've set that as a goal and then they can achieve it and that's fine. But um, there are a lot of other people whom that's for whom that's a goal and becomes very difficult to achieve. And, and I think it's much easier to uh, arrive there indirectly by you know, acquiring some mastery in, in something. And that's 
the second thing I would say about your question about passion, which is um, I recently read a book, Cal Newport, I think is his name. Yeah, um, yep. Um, uh, Too Good to Ignore, which kind of changed my mind a little bit about this idea of only following your, your, your passion because um, he made a really good case that if you look at people's lives, including my own, that um, it was it was by mastering something that you find your your passions. In other words, you you can't use um, your passion as the as the signal to to getting where you want to go. Um, you actually have to master something. And what I mastered was photography. So so um, you use you use a mastery to actually find your passion because like, like my kids and many other young people when they start off they have no idea what they're really passionate about they, they don't know what they want to devote their life to they and, and and that and that kind of uncertainty and ignorance becomes paralyzing it's like well i don't i don't know what i'm good at i don't know what i really want to give my all for and therefore they kind of get stuck well he suggests, and I, and I agree 100%, is the way you get through that is you just master something. And once you master that, you begin to master other things. And that mastery will move you towards the place where you can match your mastery with the passion. So, and, and in the beginning, it almost doesn't matter what you master. Just master something that you can master. And then from that, you will master in the right direction as you continue to learn, and this is the, the whole point, is, is that you have to master something means deliberate practice. It means constantly trying to do something better and better and better, not just like you do it so you don't think about it. No, it's the opposite. You're mastering it in the sense that you are constantly improving and deliberately trying to get better and better. And that movement moves you into the place where you are mastering your passion. And so... Um, Rather than waiting and trying to find what you're passionate about before you really give your all, and that's just paralysis. That's just stagnant. And so I, I think the second bit of advice would be that you master something and continue to not. I mean, to continue to have a very um, active, dynamic, uh, getting better and improvement. It's, you know, it's kind of like that famous movie, the documentary uh, Jiro and the sushi guy who, even though he's yeah. still doing sushi, he's trying to do it better than yesterday every single day. That kind of mastery is really the engine that will move you through this possibility space and help you find that passion. It's not something you are going to wait to employ until you have your passion. It's, it's how you find your passion. That's great advice. And the reason I wanted to ask you is because, like I said, I feel like you've crafted such a cool life with that you've done, you know, like you said, you photography and writing tech, you're a technologist. I mean, you got to write this new book, Cool Tools, which is just so much fun. And I want to talk about that. Well, let's talk. Let's I guess let's start back at Wired. Tell me about how that came to be. Yeah. So so I was I, I was a hippie, you know, uh, I, I, College dropped out, drifting through um, Asia. I lived on a photography commune right before I left. I, you know, kind of renounced a lot of the at that time established paths of you know college and career. I, um, I embraced the uh, do-it-yourself ethos of the of the hippies, and I was a uh, completely. Um, 
I was completely influenced and inspired by the Whole Earth catalogs, which were published by Stuart Brand in the late 60s and 70s. And these were printed, oversized, uh, thick books that had user-generated content. They were they were written by other readers suggesting and recommending the best tools to do whatever it is that you wanted to do from um, making your own home house to grinding, growing your own food and grinding grain into flour and you know, keeping bees. How do you do that? What do you need? Uh, how to start your own little business, how to um, how to do homeschooling, stuff like that. And that kind of do-it-yourself really just connected with me and, 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 and uh, several things came of it. One is kind of convinced me that I could invent my own life rather than um, – have to follow someone else's path. And secondly, I, it was the only place I, it was the only place I wanted to work. At. I said, I wanted to, when I grow up, I want to work at the whole Earth catalog. And, um, after I, I traveled, I started, uh, I decided to, to contribute to the whole Earth catalog, uh, doing the one thing I knew about, which was travel and travel guides. And so I started to review travel stuff for them. And I also, I decided to start my own business selling, these travel guides that I had encountered that no one else knew about, um, published by Tony and Maureen Wheeler in Australia, and it was a um, uh, they had they had a book called Lonely Planet, and um, no one else in America knew about them, and they were really kind of amazing. And so I had other travel guides I had encountered that people didn't know about, and then so I put a mail order travel all together, and I started with two hundred dollars. I had two hundred dollars, and I said, uh, and I put an ad in Rolling Stone magazine that I made myself, a little kind of hand-drawn ad. And I said, <laughs> I charged a dollar for my catalog of travel budget travel guidebooks, which didn't which didn't exist. And I said, if I get enough dollars in the mail, then I'll print <laughs> a catalog. And I got enough dollars, so I printed a catalog, but I didn't have any books. I mean, I had books in the catalog, but I actually didn't own any books. I said, if I get enough orders, I'll buy, I'll buy the books. Anyway, so that kind of bootstrapping thing worked. And so with $200, I started this mail order business uh, selling travel guides. And I started writing and reviewing travel guides for the whole Earth catalog. And um, started writing uh, about travel, budget travel, and for magazines. like, And I had columns. And so that's how that's how it began. And I, so the mastery at that point was, was budget travel. And... Um, uh, that was my end to the whole earth catalog. And eventually I got, um, I invited myself to an experimental online system in 1981. Um, and I just, and I got myself invited on because I was pretending that it was a new country and I was coming in as like a travel writer. I was going to give a tour of this new online country, this territory. And, once I got online, oh my gosh, everything changed. My attitudes about technology changed. I was a hippie. I thought that technology was big, ugly, you know, for the man, organizational, inhumane, um, something to be minimized. But once I went online, I mean, once you took a computer, computers themselves were, were very boring. I was not interested in those desktop computers. But when you plugged a computer into the telephone, 
it just it was another thing altogether and it was that being online that really I, I, it was organic. It was it was it was it was seething with life. There was something magical and humanistic about online stuff, which we came to call the internet, and then later the web. And 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 from the very beginning, it it just transformed what I was interested in. And uh, uh, I again started to master that and I got invited to be on the whole earth catalog because they were making a, uh, they were starting to review computer stuff. And so I started to know something about that and that's, and then from that we start, we actually launched the, the first public access to the internet called the well in 84. And I organized the first hackers conference after reading Stephen Levy's book about hackers. And so we had the first hackers conference and then I organized the first VR Cyberthon, 24 hours in virtual reality in 89. You know, it just kind of went from there. And so um, uh, Wired came along where I was reviewing a magazine that some weird people in Amsterdam had written uh, that seemed kind of refreshing because they took a larger view. They weren't talking about computers. They were talking about computer lifestyle. And um, I said, you know, you should come to San Francisco. San Francisco is the place to do this, not Amsterdam. It's never going to go anywhere. So they actually came to San Francisco and to start this, to restart the magazine, which they eventually called Wired. And um, I thought, you know, it's like starting a magazine is like starting a restaurant. It's like, yeah, that's it has like a one percent chance <laughs> exactly. of success. And so I said, yeah, yeah, but you know, I was encouraging them because I want, you know, I'd like to read it and. Um, uh, they came and they were kind of – they started a conference on the well and it was like, yeah, good luck. Um, but then one evening, um, the founders, uh, Lewis came to, to, to my home and he uh, was asking – he wanted to know some suggestions for editors to hire. And he came to talk to me and he brought in the prototype. And when I saw the prototype, I said, oh my gosh, this is going to work. And so I said, well, you know, I'm writing a book right now. I'm on sabbatical from Whole Earth. I can't possibly do this, but I can help you get started. I'll do the first issue. Well, I just, you know, I never left. Um, and so we, we, you know, it took a year to kind of get the first issue um, going. But um, it was seeing his prototype that, um, by the way, didn't didn't look anything like the final Wired because – his friends came in and it was designed, but it was just that he got the he got the mix right of making it a lifestyle magazine rather than a magazine about technology. It was about the culture of technology. Were you just about to hit that fast forward button? Luckily, you didn't, because I want you to check something out. Go to lynda.com/smartpeople in the search bar at the top. Type in emotional intelligence and just watch the course introduction. Tell me you don't want to take that course. The best part is by signing up at lynda.com slash smart people, you'll get a free 10 day trial so you can get this course along with any other course for free. If you're not digging it, then don't continue. But odds are for just $25 a month and access to over 3000 courses on topics ranging from web development to photography, entrepreneurship, WordPress, I think you're going to see the value in it. And unlike other sites where you have to pay per course, on Lynda, you just pay the 25 bucks a month and you get access to all of the courses. You can watch them on your tablet, iPhone, on the way to work. If you Not if you're driving, obviously. That would be crazy. But it's a way to invest in a new hobby, 
invest in yourself, learn more about the world, which is what we're all here to do. And remember to go to lynda.com slash smart people so they know that you're supporting the show while getting smarter. lynda.com slash smart people. Sign up today and get a free 10-day trial. Everyone that knows Chris knows that he was late to getting a smartphone. So it's my job to make sure that he's not late to setting up his smart home. SmartThings has created a super easy way to control, automate, and secure every aspect of your home, and you don't have to be a tech genius to install and use it. That's perfect for Chris, don't you think? That's why SmartThings was named one of the top 10 coolest gadgets of the year by Time Magazine. SmartThings instantly turns your normal home into a smart home. Lights, locks, thermostats, security, you name it. With SmartThings, it's all connected through a single app that works on iPhone, Android, and Windows Phone. Chris has a baby on the way, so we've been talking about all these different things that he has to worry about that are all new to his life. So I told him, why not have one less thing to worry about, your home? He can have peace of mind knowing that while his newborn baby is at home and he's at work, if there are things that shouldn't be happening at his home that he should know about, he can be alerted of them. If there's unwanted motion or doors, windows, or cabinets that aren't supposed to be opened, he can be alerted right away on his phone. You guys really need to check out SmartThings. With no required monthly fees and kits starting at just $189, SmartThings is affordable for everyone. And for our listeners, it's even more affordable. Get 10% off any home security or solution kits when you go to smartthings.com smartpeople. Once you try it, you won't know how you lived without the peace of mind and convenience SmartThings brings to your life. Get 10% off any SmartThings home security or solution kit and free shipping in the U.S. Just go to smartthings.com slash smartpeople. Uh, that's, so, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Is like a prototype of a magazine doesn't seem very sexy. It doesn't seem like the thing no. that, oh man, I'm definitely, that's I'm in. So I was wondering kind of what grabbed you about it. What grabbed me about it was two things. One is that, you know, I've been doing this other magazine for at Whole Earth. I mean, rushing kind of through this, I, I was publishing a, a magazine at Whole Earth called Coevolution Quarterly, and then it was later called Whole Earth Review. And it was, it was uh, again, like the Whole Earth catalog, it was user-generated content. So the readers actually wrote the, the stuff. Um, and if you read it now, you'll say, oh, I recognize this. This is These were blogs. This is blog entries. And that's sort of what we were writing. It was an enthusiastic passion, uh, obsessive knowledge that was being shared by people, um, recommendations, sometimes practical, sometimes just really interesting stuff, taking two worlds that you didn't know about, which, which this was this kind of, uh, um, blog like, um, tone. And so, um, but, but, but I, I was really focused on, uh, Occasionally, on the fact that I did a whole special publication and catalog and special issue, and I'm thinking of a magazine called Signal, which was again looking at the information technology that we were doing and how it was changing our lives. And so I was already kind of talking about these things. I was always publishing them, and I had, you know, the whole stable of writers from Bruce Sterling, Bill Gibson, um, uh, um, Doug Copeland, already. Um, that I was that I was already publishing, but the difference was um, I was just concerned about the ideas, and so it was, it was we called conceptual news, and it was very heady and it was really amazing. Lewis's insight was to take that and wrap it around the person, to make the person you know to take take kind of a little bit of the celebrity you know 
mainstream magazine attitude and take people and emphasize the people side of these ideas. And that was something I, I would not have done on my own. But Lewis did that. And so he went, he put like a author on the cover, Bruce Sterling. I would have never, I would have never thought of doing that. And so it was, it was that, that way of kind of looking at slightly different. That was the genius to me. Sure. And so, um, that worked. And then the second thing that Lewis said that convinced me to kind of get on board at the very, very beginning was um, his mandate about the kind of organizing criteria. He said, I want this magazine to feel like it's been mailed back from the future, like it's arrived in your mailbox from the year 2020. And that was like, oh, I get that. I get that is I get that. Because what that did was, is we would be talking about things as if everybody knew them. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like this kind of you were insider talk rather than talking down. And that was like, yeah, I, I, I think, I, I think this will work. And so, um, and that, by the way, was something we constantly referred to. Um, and you know, it made writing for a joy for other writers because they didn't have to kind of explain bits again. No, we. we you don't have to explain DNA again. Everybody <laughs> knows what DNA is. I I know what DNA is, and so um, I think that um, those that that little thing was convincing me that that wire was going to work. And um, you know, it was still it was we had you know constant near death experiences along the way. It was always just about ready to fail or, or not work, not not take off um, as any kind of enterprise, particularly any innovative enterprise, will. We'll have we have pivot points, all that kind of stuff. It didn't stop any of that kind of roller coaster ride from happening. But I I, I felt that that there was something here that would I'll probably was big enough it could be interpreted by many people and keep going, which it which it has. Even though the founders left when we had to sell the magazine, um, it's a big enough idea that will be interpreted by other editors over the years. Well, given, I mean, that was a long time ago. You're still writing today. You've seen the history of content creation. And I wanted to, to get your thoughts on that evolution and what you think of it today, where it's going. Because oftentimes I look at it and go, I don't know if we need any more content. <laughs> Even though I want to produce it. I like mm. writing. I like podcasting. Mm. I like, yeah. but it's. It, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we're not always adding new thoughts to the world. Mm, yeah, no, it's. I did this. I did a study of the number of new like songs being written every year. Um, there, you know, it's like a million worldwide. There's like a million new songs every year, mm -hmm. and um, if you kind of extrapolated how fast that's increasing, it comes to the point where there's like 6 billion new songs every year, meaning basically that on average, every person who writes one new song, it's, 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 it's like insane. There's so much stuff. And if you look at the growth rates of, of all those things, you realize that, uh, you know, there, there's like no solution. There's no way any individual could even ever touch even all the great stuff, let alone, you know, I mean, sure, we, we'll use filters to filter out all the crap, but still, there's going to be so much good stuff that what you read next or what you listen to next is going to be one of the most important um, pieces of information. And, and my prediction has for long been that Amazon or something like Amazon equivalent, 
that you'll be able to basically – the books will be free. It'll be like you subscribe to this service, and you'll have any book that you want anytime, anywhere, and it'll be basically free. No additional charge. Same with music. Same with movies. But what Amazon will be selling, what they're charging for is helping you decide what to read next. Oh, wow. You see, that's that's what becomes valuable. Like the books are free. The advice about what to read next, that's expensive, you know? <laughs> and so I think um, I think that's that's what we'll be paying for. We'll be paying for help in deciding what content to give our precious time to. And the content itself is almost going to be free. And so um, the, you know, this, this, so you can think about what you're doing really is not generating content. You're actually helping to direct people's attention. So it's very much because I've thought about this too. I mean, it's the curation is is yes. the future of content. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The content is basically free. You can get it whatever you want anywhere, and it's not really going to cost you very much. But the, your 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 attention is the most valuable thing, and so um, managing that attention and having help in managing it—that's what you're going to pay for. What that's what becomes valuable. What does that mean for creators? You know, for creators, it means that I think one is you have to work with um, these middle people. I mean, the, the I, I, I never, I mean, I resisted the idea that that you get rid of middle people. That was the whole idea of, of user-generated content. You don't need the middle person anymore. Well, you don't need them for distribution, but you need there there are there are other agencies and, and parties involved that that are going to help you direct your attention. So it's not the the distribution or the creation distribution that is the bottleneck. It's 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 the maintaining the attention that is the bottleneck, and that's where these other agencies uh, work with. And so um, the reason why people still are being published, I think, at New York Publishers is not because they need them to print a book and send it out. Because we, as we talk about with Cool Tools, I self-publish it. You can anybody can get a book printed very cheaply. You can make a book so easily. But the publishers and others have a little bit of uh, curation. They, they do a little bit of the curation. They're saying this, you know, we've worked with this. We've looked at all these millions of books, and this one here is really going to be worth your time. And we'll help it get the attention of people who are other curators and reviewers, et cetera. And so I think um, you you have to uh, – creators have to work with curators, you can be a curator yourself, but I think that's a really tough thing to do, but both to create and, and curate at the same time. It's like it's like when you're a writer or creating anything, the, the creation and the editing functions are have to – they're two separate minds that go on, two separate kind of uh, regimes, and it's really hard to do both at once. And so um, – I think there are creators and there are curators, and um, you, the, the two of them need to work together. Yeah, I love that. It's really interesting take on it all. I wanted you mentioned Cool Tools and how it was self-published, and I wanted to talk about that book because it's very unique. You make it explicitly clear that you can't buy it online because this is a book that's meant to be held. I mean, it's a beast of a book. Well, you can purchase it online. You can Sorry, purchase you, it. Sorry, you can't read there's it. No, yeah. There's not a digital version of it. Right. right. It, it's a beast. It's five pounds. It's oversized. I mean, it's like giant. And when you open it up, it's about the size of a small towel. You know, it just it just fills your entire horizon. And uh, when you look at it and try to read it, you kind of fall into it. And, and, and that was the experience of the whole Earth catalogs I was trying to recreate because there was something magical about 
those catalogs, even though all the information in it was dated by, by, by decades and was just out of date, I would still spend evenings going through the old Holworth catalogs and, 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 and have, having an experience. And I kept saying, what is this? What, what's happening? And, and I eventually concluded that it was this, the physical size of this screen. It's like, it was like having a big screen that was very, very detailed. And there was something about the way your brain and the eye moved around the page. It would start to make associations, unconscious associations between the different things on the page. And that, that buzz where, where, where your mind would kind of assemble meaning between things. Um, and that was that did not happen when you looked at something on a little tiny iPhone. And so I wanted I wanted that feeling that, that that experience and also there's something about the 3D shape of a book that helps you navigate through a lot of stuff which you can't do on the web. So all the things that are in this book called cool tools are available on our website because I kind of continued the whole earth catalog tradition of reviewing cool tools and having users and readers recommend the very best thing and write the review up in a positive recommendation. We didn't do negative reviews. We said we only talked about the best. And I did that. That's been going on in every day for, for 11 years. And I took the best of that online stuff and put it into a book to, as, a, as a better way to navigate through this huge amount of information. And it is a better way. Uh, there are some disadvantages to it, but the web still is still there. And the result is that you have this big book full of possibilities. And I subtitled it a catalog of possibilities because I realized that tools and tools are used broadly like a good pen to uh, uh, the best, you know, uh, kerosene lamp to uh, a good how to site for tying knots to um, uh, a site like Elance, which is how to hire a freelancer to accomplish something you wanted to do. So all, all these things are tools. And um, it turns out that each tool is, is really an opportunity or possibility. To, it's actually a conceptual thing about tools, which is that they, 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 they provide you with new possibilities. And often they will suggest themselves other possibilities that you hadn't thought about. So the point of this big book of 1,500 tools is not that you're to go run out and covet all of them and decide that you want to purchase all of them, although that is an impulse when you're going through, you're saying, I want this, I want that. The idea is just to expose you to these things so that even if you don't buy them, you know that they're there if you should ever need them. And more importantly, their existence provokes into you possibilities that you didn't know even existed. I mean, the fact that you can rent a bulldozer, they can go down <laughs> to the, you know, to the big fire rents and rent a bulldozer. That that that's like that that's empowering. Even if you never will, the fact that you know that you can rent any kind of tools is amazing. The fact, and and you know, it's like the fact that you can um, grow mushrooms, edible mushrooms at home. That even if you don't, if you do get to to do it, and, I, and, and so I do suggest you try it. It's really cool. That idea can actually provoke other ideas about what else can we grow at home? Can we grow, you know, can we grow vitamins at home? You know, it, it, it's 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 a it's a catalog of possibilities that can be used to grow and spawn other ideas and other possibilities that are related. And so it's not a book about 
having to buy all these things is, is, is a book about that you should know about these possibilities about the fact that you can get solar panels put in your roof for free that you can um manage here's some tools for managing complex pro, uh, projects that there's tools for for managing the complexity in any kind of really complicated project that that, that there are tools for um uh using your using whatever money you have to 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 give it away here's how to here's how to, to be a good philanthropist um things that you might never even thought about suddenly now are possible and that's what this book called tools is really about yeah and reader beware you will want to buy a lot of the tools <laughs> i'm just it's just yeah. one of those things i mean it, 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 it is true and you do need a couple good tools there's no way around it and, absolutely you know, if, you're, if you're gonna if you're going to do something if you're going to podcast why not have a really good microphone right I, I, believe me i completely agree <laughs> well again kevin thank you so much for being on the show the book cool tools a catalog of possibilities is fantastic we'll link to it on our site is there anywhere else that that our listeners can find you places you write and things they should check out. Yeah, I have a website. I have a, one of the easiest uh, emails in the world. Uh, the website is kk.org, and um, most everything I write, I put up there. I have links to everything else that is going on, and you know, my email has been public for 30 years, so um, <laughs> it's not hard to find. Kk at kk.org. Um, and I do respond to people. That's great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to to talk with me and be on the show. I really enjoyed it. It's really been my pleasure. You asked great questions. Uh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks so much. And have a, have a great day. Okay. All righty. Bye. Bye-bye. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode with Kevin Kelly. Remember, you can pick up his book, cool tools the catalog of possibilities on amazon or at your local bookstore if you do pick it up through amazon don't forget use smart people podcasts link over at smartpeoplepodcast.com and if you do pick up kevin's book on amazon don't forget you can support the show by using our amazon banner over at smartpeoplepodcast.com or using the link smartpeoplepodcast.com slash amazon Cool Tools is definitely worth checking out. I can't even begin to tell you how influential Wired and Kevin have been in my life, especially around tech. So if you're like me and you want to see all those awesome gadgets and cool tools that are out there, do yourself a favor and pick up the book. If you enjoyed this episode or any episode of Smart People Podcast, please head over to iTunes and Stitcher and leave a rating and review over there. Again, thank you so much for downloading and listening to the show. Make sure you tell a friend, and we will be back next week.